0: Regardless of your relationship status or whether you learn the laws of love from Madonna, Bon Jovi or Whitney, we can all agree that relationships are complicated and it may be easy to sing a love song, but it can be difficult to live it out. Right? In this series, Love Songs and Lies, we'll take a look at some truths from God's Word that will help us live full, life-giving relationships. All right. Hello, City First. How we all doing? Let's take a moment. Let's welcome City First Anywhere, Cape Coral, and our favorite locations, God Behind Bars, Dixon and Hardy. We love you guys. And I just want to take a moment, if it's all right, I want to talk specifically to Hardy because uh, last week I had the honor of being able to go in person and have an in-person service with you. And I just want you to know this. It was life-changing. We love you guys here at City First. And we say that to Dixon also. We love you guys. You are a part of this church. But to be able to be in person was really special. And I'm going to remember that literally the rest of my life. So one more time, get up for God behind bars. Everybody join us right now on the Pando app even. love you. Well, listen, we spent this last month talking about love songs and lies, and we were talking about how many times songs will paint an unrealistic picture or an unrealistic expectation of what our relationship should be. You know, many times we listen to love songs, and we think that that to be in a romantic relationship specifically, that it's full of emotion 24-7, you know, love, and, and, and Hollywood romance, and unforgettable moments, and goosebumps 24-7, and unicorns, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I will just say this, all you single people that are listening right now, whether you're in person or online, um, from, uh, on behalf of us that are married, okay, in the room, I want you to know that those expectations are 100% accurate, okay? They really are, they really are. In fact, uh, Jen and I own a unicorn, and, and, uh, and, and our life is like the notebook. So I'm just letting you know that, you know? Uh, <laughs> obviously, it's not true, right? Because here's the deal, here's the deal. Regardless of what kind of relationship that you're thinking about right now, it might be a romantic relationship, it might be a platonic relationship, it might be a work relationship, or even a family relationship, Every single one of them in your life is flawed. Do you understand that? Every one of those relationships that you have is imperfect. And here's the reason why. You are a part of them, all right? And you sit there and you go, wait a minute, it's not me. It's so-and-so. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. It's you. It is so-and-so. It's everyone. Because the only relationship that you have in your life where one party is perfect And the other one is not, is your relationship with Jesus. And by the way, you ain't the perfect one, okay? He is. In fact, Jesus will never do three things. He'll never do three things to you. Number one, he'll never leave you brokenhearted, okay? Number two, he will never reject you. And number three, he will never leave you or forsake you. So basically... Jesus is never gonna give you up, never gonna let you down, never gonna run around and desert you. Got jokes. Media team got jokes. Uh, well, listen, today we're going to have fun, but I want to tell you today we're also going to talk about what to do when people let you down, all right? And uh, there are 10 out of 10 of us in this room that uh, have had people let us down. Can I get a big amen on that, right? There's always been people that have let us down, and, and you've let other people down. And, and here's the thing I want to talk about the response to when people let you down. I want to talk about the response to when people hurt you. I want to talk about the response to when people betray you, because all of us have different responses. Some of us go like real inward, and we're very hurt. Some of us, we go the opposite direction. Maybe when somebody betrays you, it looks a little bit more like this. Songs to do. Love songs can tell you lies and tell you uh, wrong expectations of what love is really like. But also, love songs can give you wrong instructions as to what to do when you're betrayed. Right? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have a question. Um, after you put down your Louisville Slugger, <laughs> right? You're still left with the hurt. You're still left with the pain. You're still left with the betrayal. The disappointment and the bitterness, right? So after you've taken out your aggression, you're still left with that bitterness. And like the old saying goes, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, right? You see, retaliation feels good for a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, it just feels good. I mean, egg their car, hate them. Uh, trash them on social media, uh, give them the silent treatment, hold a grudge, make them pay emotionally, and it feels oh so good in the moment, right? But I do have some questions about those responses and the aftermath, and the questions I have are uh, this, you know, where, where did it get you, and uh, what benefit was it, and, and who else was in the blast zone, by the way, because this is what I know, that there are people in the blast zone of your retaliation. Innocent lives that are collateral damage because you went after somebody that hurt you, right? Or, or here's the thing, are you better for it or most importantly, is your soul better for it, right? There's an old Chinese proverb and it goes like this. It says, it says he who seeks revenge should dig two graves, and uh that there's a lot of wisdom in that. So so here here's a thought. Here's a thought when somebody hurts you, betrays you, offends you or whatever, um maybe remember this very famous verse. It's in Romans 3:23. If you've grown up in church, you probably heard it before, but it basically says this, yes, all have sinned, fall short, all fall short of God's glorious ideal. Ideal Some of you maybe learned the version that's standard, you know, his standard. Well, his glorious ideal. In other words, everyone is less than ideal. Less than God's ideal. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. I I looked up the the definition of the term less than ideal, and here's some words that came up. Unworthy, subpar, uh, not okay, deficient, pathetic, bad, and lousy, and some of you are like, that perfectly describes my ex. (laughs) But here's the thing. It's not just your ex. It's you. It's me. All of us are subpar. All of us are less than God's perfect ideal. Reason is, he's perfect, and you and I are not, right? And so because of that, maybe, just maybe we should lower our expectations of people around us and what they can do for us. You hear that? That's huge. Because because this is the thing, if you look at everyone in your life as less than ideal, including yourself, by the way, then guess what, you won't be disappointed as much. And again, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt when somebody disappoints you, it does hurt. But you will be disenchanted 10 out of 10 times if you have this as your expectation right here. You complete me. No, Tom, that's not true. Because there is nobody that can complete you. Nobody can except for you. Jesus, and if you look to human relationships, whether they be romantic, whether they be friendships, business relationships, school relationships, whatever, if you look to a human relationship to complete you, you're going to become disillusioned really, really quickly. Because this is what I know. Even the best people in your life, I'm talking the best people in your life will disappoint you often. They will. They will. And here's another thing. You will disappoint them often. It's not a one-way street. It's two-way street. Does that make sense? So so here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can, you can grab the Louisville Slugger, <laughs> or there's a better way to handle hurt. Remember, I, I said this, a better way. I didn't say an easier way, because I don't think there's any easy way to handle hurt. I, I don't think it's easy. I think it's just better, and it is the Jesus way. The Jesus way, because here's the thing. you got to remember that we, as Christ followers— We are not supposed to handle hurt the way that culture handles hurt. We aren't. We're supposed to follow Jesus, right? We're supposed to follow and model our lives after him. So what happened? Well, Jesus was betrayed. This is what I love about Christianity, by the way. It distinguishes, Christianity is distinguished from every other religion on the face of the planet by this, that we have a God who walked in our shoes. He was betrayed. He was let down. He was disappointed. He was lied about. He had all those things, all those circumstances. So what did he do? Well, it says in 1 Peter, and this is written, I would say, by someone who has firsthand account. Because Apostle Peter walked with Jesus for, um, for three, three and a half years. And it says this, Peter wrote, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Oh, we don't like that, do we? Uh, we don't want that on a bumper sticker. Follow Jesus, even if it means suffering. (laughs) But this is what Peter says even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Do you realize that Christ actually suffered for us? He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Oh, man, I don't like that one. Can we get an eraser and take that one out of the book? Is that cool? Nor he threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. So here, how do we handle hurt like Jesus? Well, the first thing is this. You need to leave your case in the hands of God. What do I mean? Well, a lot of times when we um, get offended or we get hurt, we turn into a lawyer overnight, whether we went to law school or not doesn't matter if we, like, pass the bar exam. It doesn't matter. We are all of a sudden, we are the most competent lawyer in the world. Because what do we do? We gather all the data. We gather all the data on that person, what they did to us, what they said to us, what they didn't say, what they didn't do. We start gathering all the data. And then, you know, what we do is we go walking around to other people and we're like, hey, listen, I want to show you the data that I've collected, the data I collected on this person that hurt me. By the way, do you have any data that I could also collect? And pretty soon we start collecting a file of our offenses and even other people's offenses towards that person, and we start getting this thick file, and then at some point we're like, aha, guilty, guilty, right? And here's the thing. The Bible says instead in Romans chapter 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, maybe not of the other person, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Which means this, that God is more than a capable judge, that he is able to to collect his own data. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your friend's help. But rather instead, he knows, he's the all-knowing God. He knows what's happened to you. He knows what that person has done. You don't have to build a case. He already understands, him. and he is so capable as a scorekeeper. So, we have to leave the case that we built in the hands of God and that i'm telling you that is so easily preached it's so easily said like even as i'm saying it i'm like oh man i can preach this living it though that's a different story it is sometimes really really hard but you have to take the case of the offense that is that has happened to you and what that person has done to you and you have to say god i'm going to i'm going to leave it in your hands cuz you are the righteous judge And like they always say, there's his story, her story, and the truth. And God knows the truth. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And even your version of what happened is probably a little skewed by your bias. Right? And there are probably some things that you did. Not all the time. There are some offenses that literally it is 0% your fault and 100% another person's fault. So that is possible. But many times, at least in my life, I've I've owned a, a share of the blame at least, you know. So so what do I do? I, I need to just leave it, whether I have zero responsibility, 50% responsibility, 2% responsibility, it doesn't matter. I leave it in the hands of God, who is the righteous judge. Because we sing about amazing grace all the time, but you cannot have grace without justice. You hear that? So, so a lot of times, yes, I'm I'm all about a God of grace. Thank you, God, for grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? But at the same time, you cannot have grace if you don't have justice. So there is a God of justice also that will make sure that he, in the right time and in the right way, he will bring forth justice. So what else do you do? What else do you do? Well, it says in Ephesians chapter 4, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. So the second way that you follow Christ when, when you're hurt and you do it the Jesus way is that you must forgive others as Jesus has forgiven you. Ah, forgiveness! I know this. You came to church the minute you heard I was talking about hurt. You're like, great, he's going to talk about forgiveness. I don't want to hear about the F word. Because to some of you it literally is the F word. It's literally like I don't want I don't want to hear about it. Right? I don't want to hear about it. You've been hurt. People have disappointed you. The last thing you want to talk about is forgiving them. It feels a little too simple. It feels a little too kind of Pollyanna. It feels a little too kind of like cheery, right? Oh, I'm gonna forgive. No, 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 here's the thing. We many times falsely think forgiveness is when we forgive somebody, it lets them off the hook. And that is not true, okay? You forgiving somebody does not let them off the hook. It doesn't mean that it erases consequence. It's none of that. It's literally that you're just forgiving them. Other people say, I don't want to forgive until that person admits they're wrong. Well, some of you are going to be waiting the rest of your life. I mean, really. Because some of the people that have offended you, man, they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, and they're never going to come clean. They don't even realize what they've done, and if they do realize what they've done, maybe their pride is standing in the way. And they are never going to come to you and say, hey, will you forgive me because I really messed you over. They're never going to do it. You're going to wait your entire life. So what do we do? We looked at what Jesus did on the cross, and this is what Jesus said on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they are doing. They don't know what they're doing. So listen, Jesus modeled forgiveness before understanding Jesus modeled forgiveness before the other person, the other party, meaning us, had comprehension or even admitted wrong. Jesus forgave first and then sorted it out later. And that's hard for us to do. So let me take in the remaining few moments we have together and I want to debunk some of the misconceptions about forgiveness. Because forgiveness is actually a good thing for you. It's not just a churchy thing. It's a good thing for you. And if you totally understand it, I think you're going to be at least more be more willing to forgive. I'm not saying it's easy, but you're going to at least be more willing. First of all, forgiveness is not about them, the person that hurts you. It is primarily about your future. It's about you and your future. Now, I, I realize you forgive because God forgave us. Yes, but why? Because your future is is too important for you to carry the baggage of bitterness and anger and hurt into that future. God wants you to have freedom. He doesn't want you to be dragging this, this, this huge weight of all of the unforgiveness. In fact, Bishop uh, Desmond Tutu said this one time, and I've, I've said this a lot of times in sermons because it's so powerful. He said, without forgiveness, there is no future. Without forgiveness, there is no future, which means this, you have to forgive because God wants you to have a future. And, 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 and if not forgiveness, then what does your future hold? What does it look like? If you don't forgive, if you're like, nope, I'm picking up the Louisville slugger. Okay, good, good. Then what does your future look like? Well, it's going to be a future full of bitterness. It's going to be a future full of hate. A future full of ongoing hurt. See, None of us, none of us look at someone who's carried bitterness for a long time and say, oh man, I want their life. Right? No one's, no kid is going, my dad, he's been, he's been angry and bitter for decades. I hope to grow up like him. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Nobody wants that in their future. You don't. So, so listen, it's more about your future than what that person Deserves. Okay. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting what happened, and and this is this is really there's this nice little jingle that we say in our English-like culture, and it, it literally is a lie. We say forgive and forget, just forgive and forget, and that sounds so nice. It is a lie. You do not have to forget. In fact, forgetting. Is, is, is really impossible. I mean, how do you forget the affair? Just, you know, is, is it one of these moments where, you know, like the Men in Black movie where you just stare into the little thing, berp, and all of a sudden you forget? Is that how it works? No. How, how do you forget the words that were spoken at Thanksgiving? I mean, really, really, how do you forget that? Well, I'm just gonna pretend like that didn't happen. Well, pretend all you want, but it's gonna still be inside your head, right? How do you forget the actions that that other person had towards you? See, see, here's, here's the thing. I know a lot of people say, "Well, God forgives and forgets, so why shouldn't you too?" Well, the first reason is because He's God and we're not, and He has the ability to somehow forget as He remembers. Now, I know I'm not going to get real theological on this because I'm going to lose you know all of us. Well, I'll just kind of be like contemplating our belly button here soon. But but you know. God has the ability somehow to know and not know. All right, he just does. We don't have that ability. So first reason why I I tell people, well, yeah, we can't do it is because we're not God. Second reason is this, by not forgetting, you actually learn. You actually learn. You learn stuff about you. You learn stuff about others. And most of all, you learn stuff about God and how he can heal you and he can turn around really, really bad things and turn them around for good. So you, you actually learn, you become better through forgiveness and remembering. But listen, when I say um, not forgetting, please do not confuse that with with like obsessing on something. There's a difference between not forgetting and fixating, okay? I'm not advocating that you just fixate on it and you always think about it. But but it's impossible to say that you're gonna forget it, okay? so So again, it's not fixating. It's not just living in it all the time, and especially for some of us right now, we're living in it all the time. We wake up thinking about the offense. We go to bed thinking about the offense, right? And, and again, that's not what I mean. I mean, you, you have to remember, but you can't fixate, and you have to remember more than just the pain, okay? You hear that? Number three is this. It is okay to be angry sometimes, and, and, and I grew up in church, And there was this unspoken, and maybe even sometimes it was spoken, I don't know. But there was this unspoken thought that once I forgive, then I can't be angry. Or if somebody hurts me, I can't be really disappointed. And and that's not true. It's not true. In fact, um, I even had somebody come up to me recently in the last few weeks and tell me about something about their, their you know, significant other and, and how it kind of is on the rocks. And that person had done certain things. And the person looked at me and said, I am angry. But they didn't use the word angry. They used the word that rhymes with kiss. Okay? And I said, of course you are. <laughs> of course you're kissed. (laughs) Of course you are. You're angry. Because what that person did is wrong. And you feel those emotions. But here's the thing. Anger, if you harbor it if you kind of let it nest in your heart and in your soul, if you allow it to live inside of you too long, it turns into bitterness and then it turns into a future that you don't want. So you can be angry for a season, angry for moments, but not angry as your identity. Does that make sense? You you gotta let it go at some point. But yeah, it's it's okay to sometimes be angry, but just don't live there. Does that make sense? Number 4, forgiveness is not a one-time event. So, <laughs> I know sometimes like at church we can almost give this portrayal like just say a prayer and it's all okay. Well, no, I mean, to be honest with you, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like literally you say the prayer or you tell somebody, I forgive you. You send them a text. You write them a letter. You sit across the coffee table from them. You say, I forgive you. The words come out of your mouth or whatever. But yet, the next day you get up and you have to say, God, I forgive him again. And the next day you're like, I, I, need to, I need to forgive you again. And maybe you're not saying it to the person, but you're saying it to God. You're like, God, I need to forgive this person. I don't want to forgive them today. I know I forgave them last Thursday. Today, I want them to burn. You know what I mean? Right? I mean, can we be honest? And and so here's the thing. It's like you got to forgive often. And I promise you this. I promise you this. You forgive often. You forgive often. Most of the time, it's just between you and God. You're forgiving that person, forgiving that person. And then someday, there's breakthrough. And someday, it's like, oh, I feel free. Now, you might have to forgive him again, but I'm just saying, like, you start—the weight starts to come off your back, the, 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 the heaviness of it, all right? And I would just say the more serious the offense, typically the longer the process. So give yourself some grace. Just keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, all right? Number five, forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. And this is huge, because I think sometimes we think, well, I forgive them, and now i got to be BFF again. No, no, not necessarily. No. Now listen, prayerfully, if you had to ask me best-case scenario, yeah, best-case scenario is reconciliation. But it kind of reminds me of when you go to buy something at Ikea, Okay. And, uh, which is the most frustrating, like, furniture store on the face of the planet, right? Because everything's flat-packed. You get it home. You open it up. There's styrofoam. There's wood. There's little wooden pegs. There's the Allen wrench, the dreaded Allen wrench from hell. You know, all these kind of things that are all in there, right? And it's like, you you just, you're trying, you take everything out. You start building your little, like, entertainment center, the chair, whatever it is. And you get about three-fourths of the way through the assembly, and you realize you've either lost or it is missing a key piece. And you're like, I got to take this back. And you look at the box, and you're like, how do I get this back in here again? And so you start disassembling everything, and you start to, and it just doesn't, it doesn't all go back in the box. And sometimes relationships are that way. Sometimes you're in a relationship, and something happens, and guess what? It just can't all go back in the box. And you try, and I'm not advocating you don't try. Again, first best case scenario is restoration, reconciliation. That's the, that's the primary goal, but sometimes it just can't be. And I've had relationships like that in my life, and probably you have too. In fact, sometimes with some people that have hurt you, you got to actually create boundaries, like it it can't all go back in the box like it was before. Like we can't just pretend it didn't happen. Does that make sense? You got to actually create boundaries. And again, that's not bad. You need to do that. If it, if you can't have reconciliation, then create healthy boundaries with God's help and with a tone of Christ likeness. All right? You know, I've had uh, I've had actually some very close relationships in my past that People have hurt me, and I'm, I'm sure um, I've done my part of it, too, but they've hurt me. And, and you know what? I, I just have said to God, I go, God, this one can't go back in the box. It can't, it, it, we're not buddy-buddy we're not again. Like, it just, it's just not possible, and, and it's created this, this thing that, that, yes, I'm able to overcome it in God's help, and I can forgive, but it just can't go back. Does that make sense? And, and I hope this doesn't sound, I, I just hope this doesn't sound weird, but I've actually had conversations with God about specific people that we have broken relationships. And I've said this, God, in heaven, we're gonna be best friends again. See right now, we can't. In heaven, there's gonna be that relationship again. Once we stand in the presence of Jesus and I understand everything I've done wrong, and that person understands everything that they did wrong, and we look at each other and we're like, I'm sorry for being a complete moron, or that person looks at me and says, I was an idiot, and I'm like, yeah. Or why are you know, I mean. But at that moment, when all is forgiven, and we see clearly in the presence of our Savior, I think at that moment, that person and I, or those people and I, we're gonna have great, great friendship for the rest of eternity. It's just not on this side. Maybe some of you need to hear that. Forgiveness, it's for you, but it's, it's hard. I'm gonna close with a story about a lady who's, actually, this is one of Jen's personal heroes. She lived um, in the last century during World War II. Um, her name is Corey Ten Boone. She grew up in Holland and during World War II, her and her family decided to do something really risky, and they began to hide Jewish individuals from the Nazis. So they actually created a hole in a wall in a closet, and they would hide them in there as the Nazis were going house to house looking for Jewish people to take them to the concentration camps. Corey Timboon and her family hid we believe approximately 800 people during World War II. Is that amazing? 800 individuals. Save them, literally save them. Well, unfortunately, Corey and her family got caught by the Nazis and they were sent to a concentration camp by the name of Ravensbrück. And in that concentration camp, um, Corey's sister, Betsy, died her father also died. And it was horrific. And in about 1945, when the Allies liberated the concentration camps, Corey was set free, and she felt that the call in her life was to now go around and tell people her story about the concentration camp and about forgiveness and things like that. And so in 1947, she was speaking in a church in Munich, And at the end of her sermon, a balding older gentleman came walking to the front of the church as she was closing her message and he wore this gray trench coat and immediately Corey froze. She recognized him because this man was one of the most vicious guards at the concentration camp where her and her family were at. In fact, his job was to stand and watch the women disrobe and throw a pile of clothes in the middle of the floor as the women were sent to the showers. And So multiple times, this very evil man would mock the women of that camp as they were going to take showers. And now he's standing at the front of the church and said, and I'm reading from her memoir, a fine message, Frontline. How good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea of forgetfulness. And Corey said, I spoke that day about forgiveness. And all I could do at that moment was fumble in my pocketbook as he was reaching out a hand to shake my hand. She's like, I couldn't do it. This was one of the most evil men that i 'd ever encountered in my life, and at that moment, all she could remember was the leather crop swinging from his belt, and here she was face to face with one of her captors. She said, "My blood was frozen in my veins, and he said, "As you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, I was a guard there, he said, but since that time i 've become a christian and I know that God has forgiven me for all the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? Corey goes, I stood there. I know my sins that have been forgiven again and again, she wrote, but I could not forgive this man. I just gotten out of the pulpit, she said, talking about forgiveness. I could not forgive that man. That was the camp where my sister Betsy had died. That's where my father had passed away. And here I'm standing face to face with a soldier who is expecting me to practice what I preach. That moment says, quote, she wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do for I know I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, she wrote, that we forgive those who have injured us. So to receive forgiveness, we must forgive. So standing there before the former SS man, Corey remembered forgiveness is an act of the will it's not an emotion or a feeling and she prayed a prayer she said jesus help me i can lift my hand i can do that much but i don't know if i can speak the words so corey thrusts her hand out she said as i did an incredible thing took place a current started from my shoulder raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. She said it was like electricity. And there was a healing warmth that seemed to flood my whole body. And I began to weep. And she said, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all of my heart. And at that moment, she said, we grasped each other's hands the former guard and the former concentration camp prisoner. She said, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. But even so I realized this, it was not my love, she wrote. I had tried and I did not have the power to forgive. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. As we close, here's the good news. You don't have what it takes to forgive. And I don't either. But the Holy Spirit will give you the power if you just put forward your hand. You take the first step, you write the letter, you start to send the text message, you schedule the coffee appointment, you take the first step. And this is what I know, the Holy Spirit will give you the power, because you and I don't have the power. Some of you right now, you're listening, is like, I don't have the power to do that. You don't. You don't. I don't. But God's Spirit will help you. Why do you do it? Because you need to have a future, and you don't want to become bitter, angry. Some of you already are there. That's okay. God can heal the bitterness, but it's that first step of forgiveness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there are people with in the earshot of my voice online, right now in God behind bars, right now in their living room, right now in this auditorium or a city first auditorium, and they are listening to this and thinking this is impossible. And I would say it is without you, but you're a God of the impossible and you will give us the ability to forgive. So Jesus, help us to do it. Help us to take the first step, to stretch out the hand, to write the letter, to start the text, to make the appointment. God, you empower us to have those words come out of our mouth. And this is what we ask. You be a righteous judge. We give you our case. And Lord, give us in return freedom. God, we don't want to wake up every day thinking about it. We don't wanna go to bed every night thinking about it. We don't wanna, every time a friend mentions that person's name, think about it. We don't wanna carry the grudge into our homes, into our workplaces. God, give us power to forgive so that we can be free. Because the Bible says, for whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Set us free today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.